privilege uh, to speak here, to, to preach here. I'm so grateful for this church. Uh, someone uh, met my wife this week and figured out that she was married to me and asked her if uh, her husband was the sarcastic pastor. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I thought that was horrible. And, uh, like, that would be some goal you would have in mind, like I would be sarcastic or something. And, you know, I guess the words uh, brilliant escaped her mind or humble, uh, probably just didn't think of that. And uh, so anyway, if I am sarcastic, I apologize to you for that. Uh, It's just a gift that I try to to take under uh, control. And um, although on our radio show, um, I am sometimes, it's hard to be me and on Christian radio, a guy called, this is uh, not like some of the other stories that Clary tells. This is true. The, uh, uh, the, 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 um, a guy called and said that his wife uh, had an affair with the soccer coach. And I just, it just came out that has she always had that kind of interest in athletics. And I, I just felt horrible that I, I said that. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm uh, oh, and also... Uh, someone said, uh, actually, Jennifer Reardon, she's got all these names, Jennifer Reardon, McSoley, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Sears & Roebuck, said that uh, I always mention sex somewhere in the message, like, where's Waldo? And people are looking for where, and that just uh, has never been true. It's going to be true now that she brought it up. But anyway, uh, let's get started. Now, I believe that God has something for you to hear today. I believe God has a message specifically for you. And I'm going to try really hard to deliver that message to you. You try really hard to listen. If you see the outline there with the Easter egg color, uh, there's a lot of stuff to cover. So if you'll listen really fast, I'll do my best. Uh, But let's pray to get started. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Help us to be part of what you're doing on this earth. In your name we pray. Amen. A little boy was praying. He prayed, our father up there in heaven, how do you know my name? And he was, uh, he was pretty right because God does know your name. He's known it ever since the beginning of time. I mean, even before the beginning, because there never was a beginning and, uh, for eternity, he has known your name. He has a plan for you. There are no accidental people. There are accidental parents and there are illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children, no accidental lives. Everybody here is planned by God and God has a plan and value and purpose for every person here. You have a significant life. The Bible says we're created for five purposes. We've gone over four. We'll talk about the fifth today, but I'll review the four. And the first one is to be loved by God. Uh, God is love and he made us to love us. But a lot of us don't feel God's love because we have so much shame. Uh, We can't feel his love because we think he's mad at us or he's going to punish us or he's waiting to zap us. And so we don't feel his love. But once you feel his love, you can really be a real person called to be who you are rather than coming and, you know, faking being a Christian and saying hallelujah, praise, hallelujah, and stuff like that so people think you're really spiritual. You don't have to fake it when you know God's love. Second thing is we're called to belong. We're called to belong to God's family. Nobody was, was born to, to be independent, to be alone. We're supposed to be in community. And uh, so we're called to be involved, and we're called 
to be connection. Connected, And if you've never felt that, you need to get into a small group. Uh, we go to the, Dr. Denny's uh, small group, and, and he and Angie and Jack and Emma and everything, they take care of us every week, and we are part of that little family. We all know that uh, whales, uh, they, they have a pod. Uh, dogs have a pack. Penguins, uh, they have a rookery. Butterflies have a kaleidoscope. Porcupines have a prickle. Peacocks have an ostentation. Quails live in a covey. Uh, house cats need nothing. But uh, other, other than that, we're all created. We're all created to be in groups of people in community. He created us to belong. And then the third thing, he created us to become. He created us to become what he wants us to be. You know, a bunch of parents are a bunch of liars and they tell their children, oh, you can be anything you want to be. You know, that's what I call Pinocchio parenting because you can't be anything you want to be. I cannot be a physicist. When I was growing up, I loved fizzies, but I cannot be a physicist. It's just not going to happen with my attention deficit disorder. It's hard enough for me to add. So there are just some things you can't do no matter how hard you try. So parents, stop lying to your children. The fourth thing is we're called to bless others. It's not about you. We need to be a blessing to other people. And if you're in community, you can be blessed by other people. My wife and I just had our anniversary and the Browns took care of our children. That was a blessing to us on our anniversary so we could go spend the night in a hotel and bless each other. I mean, that's just blessings, bless others, and, and uh, well, there it was, Waldo. So anyway, uh, but, but we need to sow blessing. If you sow blessing, you reap blessing. If you sow praise, you reap praise. If you sow criticism, you reap divorce. And so we need to be blessing other people using our talents and our gifts. And then today we're, we're, we're upon the fifth purpose. We're called to be sent to bring other people into the family of God. Now, this is what God is up to. God's plan for history is he's gathering a family that will love and live with him forever. If God hadn't wanted a family, he wouldn't have created the universe, wouldn't have created us, but he wants a family. Ephesians 1.5 says his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Now, you might be in the middle of the plan of God and not like the way the plan's going. You might be single and not like that plan. You might not have children and you don't like that plan. Or you might be married and you hate that plan. You might have children and wish you had less. Uh, So there are just all sorts of places we can be in mid-plan, but if we'll turn our life over to God, we will watch that plan bless our lives, and we'll look back and say, whoa, he really did have a great plan for my life. And I saw it when I started to live out his purposes. Now, you are sent to bring others into God's family. You can bring them in the front door or you can bring them in a side door to a recovery group or divorce care or uh, counseling, support group, uh, whatever. But, But we're called to bring people in. 
Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe on him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are to be sent to bring, to share. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you have ugly feet? You take the good news, you can get a foot lift, just like that. Your feet become beautiful because you're sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, God has a cure for life. Do you, do you believe that God has a cure for life? Okay, 17, believe that God has a cure for life. Here is God's cure for this life. His cure is how to have your past forgiven. That's a pretty great thing. His cure is how to have purpose for living, and his cure is how to have a home in heaven for a very, very long time. But so many people are stuck in their shame that they can't latch on to God's cure. When I was in college, one of the biggest mistakes of my life was got a girl pregnant and paid for her to have an abortion, destroyed my very own child. The shame that I felt from that I wore, I, I, and I did not feel God's love. I thought he was going to kill me or destroy me or punish me. It was only when I was able to accept his grace and feel his love that this pain and this mistake became part of my purpose. Thursday night, I was in Collinsville, Illinois, speaking to 600 people at a fundraiser for a pregnancy center because I didn't want anybody else to have to go through what I went through. See, when we embrace the things that happen, even our mistake, God works them out to reach others and help others, but we have to let him do it. And you know, I felt so much shame over destroying a child, but Matthew 18.10 says that the angels of that child were in the presence of the Lord. And God took care of that baby, and I'll meet that baby one day. And I can either spend my life in shame over that decision, or I can accept his forgiveness and look forward to being with him and with that baby in heaven. The little boy that prayed the Lord's prayer, went on to pray and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. And that's really the message of Jesus Christ is to forgive as we have been forgiven. God has a cure for life. Now imagine if you had a cure for something and you never told anybody. Imagine if you had the cure for the heartbreak of psoriasis or hammerhead toe, or something like that, and you never told anybody. The people with the heartbreak of psoriasis and hammerhead toe would be very upset with you. And so we have this cure. We need to share with other people that God has a cure for his life. Now, Jesus told us that there were the two most important things to do in life. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So you have to love yourself. Well, you can't love yourself if you haven't experienced God's grace. If you don't feel like God loves you, you can't love yourself and you can't 
share that love with anybody else. And you have no motivation to bring anybody else to share your shame because you don't feel God's love. So we need to accept his grace and share with other people the cure. Now, God saved us so we could serve other people. Instead, some people, they get saved and then they become the critic. They become the judge of everybody else. And they think that they've got it all together. And if you have ever been hurt by an uncaring, arrogant, stupid Christian, I am so sorry that they represented this church and Christ in that way. And if you are an arrogant, stupid Christian, God has a plan for you. His grace is right there for you and your arrogance and your stupidity. It can be redeemed. And then one day you'll be up here giving your story of how stupid you were and how uh, just uncaring. It'll be great. People will be drawn to that. God saved us so that we could tell others about him, so we could serve. In Sunday school class, the teacher was sharing about the Good Samaritan, and, and uh, he asked a little girl, what would you do if you found someone along the side of the road bruised and, and bleeding and, and, and almost near death? And she said, I'd probably throw up on him. Well, you know, your neighbor may make you want to throw up. They're just not great neighbors. But, but you, if you experience God's love, you can work through that, and you can minister to them. Now, there are five things that Jesus did, and we can do those same five things also. And the problem is this word that I've created, apathist. We have apathists, not atheists, but apathists, people that that are apathetic, but they don't care that they're not doing anything because they're apathetic. So they're apathists. But when we get busy doing what Jesus did, we get to live out all those purposes. The first one is that, you know, he started the church. So we need to plant churches and eradicate spiritual emptiness. This church, we've got four campuses. We've started five churches. Darren and the team are, are coaching and helping 15 pastors from 15 uh, other churches that are out there. That, that's what uh, we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to equip and train leaders. We're supposed to assist the poor so that extreme poverty can be overcome. Now, my little boy said to me two days ago, Solomon, dad, I only want one shirt, one pair of pants, one pair of underwear, and one pair of socks. And I want to send all the rest to the little children in Haiti. Now he didn't get that from me. He got that from this church. He has a wallet that he's saving money. He's got about $200 already that he's going to send to Haiti. I didn't put that on him. That came from this church. I was not called to be a sarcastic missionary. I was called to teach. In fact, uh, when I did a little missionary work, um, it was in, uh, I thought it was in India. It was in Africa. Uh, with women of faith, we, we help them have clean water in this village. And they asked me to come over and, and dedicate the well. So I went over, I dedicated the well, I said the prayer. And when it was over, I had an interpreter. I said, so let's drink up. The interpreter looked at me 
And then he said to them in their own language, so let's all go get drunk. And uh, so I'm not good at, at missionary work. I didn't mean get drunk. I meant drink the clean water. So anyway, this church, we partnered, we've helped gather a half million dollars. A hundred thousand people have clean water today. Little children uh, are being cared for in Haiti. And, uh, you know, 20 tons of food we just raised for uh, at Christmas. 55,000 kids through Convoy of Hope that we work with are getting fed in Haiti every day. It's amazing. Uh, this church is reaching out there. Jesus cared for the sick. We need to care for the sick. In his day, he, there was a pandemic of leprosy. He cared for them. People noticed that he healed them. In every epidemic and pandemic, the church has come along and ministered in times of struggle, and the church has grown as a result, except for one, and that was the AIDS epidemic. We're doing some great stuff now, but we were late getting started because we were full of hatred and judgment and bitterness and all sorts of stuff, maybe even fear, I don't know, but we didn't, we didn't go after it. Uh, there was a you know, James Dobson's program was one of the most listened to ever. And there was a man there that was so confused. He went on there saying you could get it from hugging and mosquitoes. And it kind of set the tone for the Christian community for a long time. But we've now stepped up and are ministering to people with AIDS. People that are sick need help. And probably the biggest pandemic is, is mental, emotional, and psychological help. And they need a spiritual solution to that inner difficulty and struggle that they're experiencing. And if they don't get it, they're only going to be kind of better or half well. It's like the psychiatrist said to the woman with multiple personality, do you feel like through our work here that you've finally been cured? And she said, absolutely. We have never felt better. So, you know, we we don't want to have half healing go on. And then we're supposed to educate the next generation, so that a lack of education or illiteracy doesn't prevent somebody from carrying out God's purpose. But it's not just knowledge we want to give people. It's wisdom. You know, knowledge is you know that a tomato is actually a fruit and not a vegetable. That's why you have plum tomatoes and cherry tomatoes. It's a fruit, not a vegetable. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. You see, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, and we need to be part of sharing wisdom. Now, there are three places that God wants us to copy Him. Globally, well, we're reaching out globally, as I've said. Locally, in small groups, in your home groups, doing projects together, and then personally right where you are. There's nothing more powerful than just to go meet a neighbor and, and share with them and welcome them. Maybe take them some brownies or get Larie Shesky's chocolate chip cookie recipe. That'll, that will, you will accept Christ after eating one of those, those cookies. Our, our new neighbor moved in and we'd had a party uh, New Year's Eve and uh, I don't drink and there was a bottle of champagne. In the fridge. So I just, I just said, well, I'll take that over there to him. I took him a bottle of champagne, not stopping to think that they were going to tell people, yeah, the local pastor brought us some booze and uh, welcomed us to the neighborhood. So I owe them some cookies 
or brownie. But anyway, uh, Acts 1.8 said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the, world, end of the earth. So ever increasing circles of influence. And then in the book of Revelation, John peers through this veil that separates us from the parallel universe of heaven that is in existence at this moment. And every now and then somebody gets to look through there and John did and he wrote down what he saw. He said, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We're from all over the world, every language. We will reach every group of people. And I got fascinated with this word tribe. And, you know, you always think of the Amazon or some other place. But I was um, looking at some uh, research by a guy that I forgot to write his name down, but he wrote a book, uh, Leadership in Tribes. And you can Google that. Um, But anyway, he says there are five levels of tribes that exist among us right now. And the lowest level is a tribe that believes that life is horrible. And they want your life to be horrible too. So you find this kind of tribe in a gang or you find them in prison. This is a person that shoots up a school or or something like that. Um, Misery loves company. These people insist on you sharing in their misery. So uh, like someone like the mass murderer Jeffrey Dahmer who ate his victims, he was a cannibal, killed 17 people. The son of Sam, the serial killer out in California, uh, murdered six, shot seven. These are the kind of people that we're talking about. Or the, the other level is life isn't miserable, but my life is miserable. I'm a victim. I've got it bad. And, uh, boy, I've, I've certainly been there at, you know, when you're, you're rejected or abandoned or betrayed or something like that, you, you know, you, you might find uh, this group in a codependency or a recovery group or something where somebody has realized their life is really horrible. Like um, Norma McCorvey, she is the Roe of Roe versus Wade. It was her case that made abortion legal in the United States years ago. And she was miserable and full of hatred and venom and allowed that case to go forward. Or um, William Murray, the, the son of Madeline Murray O'Hare, raised an atheist, you know, but, but he was raised by her. His life was absolutely miserable. C.S. Lewis was an early atheist. His life was miserable. A third tribe is the tribe of I'm great. This is where you find people like pastors talking to each other. Well, my church, we have a thousand people. Well, we have a thousand and two. Well, my church, we, uh, we don't even count. We, we have so many people. You know, our, our psychologists, our leaders, you know, leaders like to get together and, and lead each other. Uh, and, and so you see groups of people where, you know, I'm great and you're not. Entertainers like Alice Cooper, the, the shock uh, entertainer bit off the head of a chicken in front of people. And, you know, these kind of folks are the, the porn star, Harry Reams, who, uh, one of the movies he made $600 million all together. Or 
Well, uh, the um, uh, Donnie Pauling, $4,000 a day Playboy photographer. They're at the top of their game. They're great. Um, the director of the Institute of Health, his name is Tommy Collins, raised and became an atheist. He's the one that was in charge of the, the human genome project and, and uh, mapping out three billion uh, gene pairs and all this stuff. Uh, head of the Institute of National Health. And, uh, and then there's another level of we're great. You see this in cults and, and religions. And, um, you know, like uh, this guy, Ramzi Yusuf, who uh, part of Islam plotted to destroy the Twin Towers, part of that 1993 bombing and the plot to bring them down later. Or... Uh, like a new age person like uh, Veronica Hughes who hated the church. She was a medium, a channeler. She was famous among all of her new age friends. Uh, she might have also been part of the fifth tribe of the world is great. You know, you see a lot of new age believing it's perfect. It's wonderful out there. A lot of people in mental institutions, delusional, thinking life is all perfect. Like the Cromarkies, they were atheists uh, and everything was going their way. Their little daughter, 10 years old and uh, a child prodigy, was on, uh, was on Oprah for her paintings. They were in this kind of fifth tribe that everything is wonderful and beautiful. And so many people have said, hello, Dolly, to the Dalai Lama and believing that, you know, that things can be just nirvana or utopia here on earth. Well, I believe there's a sixth tribe. This isn't in the research, but I believe God is forming a sixth tribe of people that love him so much and care so much about others that they're bringing folks together so we can spend eternity with him. But it begins with us living and loving our neighbors and caring enough to ask them to come be a part of what God is doing. Watch this testimony. Uh, I love Tom, and I want you to see his story of how he got here to Heartland. Hi, I'm Tom Branham. I've been going to Heartland now for four or five years. Well, I'd been going to church all my life as a kid, and I went with my parents. We walked uh, to church every Sunday. I lived in a very small town, uh, and that was the closest one to the house, so I just felt like, well, that's just what you do. When I went to college, though, it just sort of stopped going. But um, I think it was probably in the last six or eight years where I started really thinking about what I really want to do in my life. What, what, what of significance do I want to do? Is it just about making money? And I don't think the answer was, was, was clearly wasn't yes. And what's the motivation at this point? I would not have come to this church. I don't think I would have even noticed it. If somebody hadn't told me or asked me, invited me personally to come. And as I was, as I was working with friends who were going here, and I started noticing how they were living their life, I realized that, that part of what I was seeing in them was something I wanted. And that uh, if I was going to commit to this church and the things I was doing, I need to do it in a way that makes sense. 
I think what I, what I realized was that it was time for me to accept God's gifts. And, and when I got baptized, I said, I'm doing this because I want to spend the rest of my life using the gifts that God has given me in a way that I'm on mission with, with what he has done in my life. I go, well, you can't be an example if you don't let people know why you made your decisions. And that's what, I'm, that's what I think is exciting about the rest of my life is that there's a lot more uh, to do. And I think God's got a plan. And I, uh, my goal is to figure out what it is, or at least to be there when he shows it to you. Harlan made it seem like, hey, you can do it, and we'll help you get the rest of the way. We've already been saved. We're, we know everything's going to turn out all right. But it doesn't mean that we can stop growing because there's a lot more for us to do and know. So someone had to live out their life, and he said, I wanted what they have, and they asked him to come to church, and everything has been different. Life might be great at any given point, but heaven is greater. In the Oreo of eternity, this is the the chocolate on the outside, and heaven is the cream center in the Oreo of eternity. In the Twinkie of the universe... Earth is the chemical-saturated uh, yellow cake on the outside. And, and heaven is the gooey uh, center in the Twinkie of the universe. A- am I being redundant? Am I repeating myself? Am I saying the same thing? You get what I'm saying? Heaven's the big deal. And that's where we need to point people to. And we will never see people come with us unless somebody cares enough to tell them about God's love. Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, father never gave up on him, ministered to him after he had been sentenced to a bunch of life terms. And one day, Jeffrey Dahmer got down on his knees and accepted Christ into his life and asked a pastor to come to the prison and baptize him. He went to church every Sunday, was in a Bible study before he was murdered in prison. David Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer, accepted Jesus and said, I want everybody to know that Jesus was able to forgive a devil-worshipping mass murderer like me, and I want them to come to Christ too. Norma McCorvey, the Roe of Roe versus Wade, could not resist a little seven-year-old girl's invitation to join her and her mother to church, a place that she absolutely hated, but she couldn't resist this little girl. And she goes to church, and the pastor offers an invitation to turn your life over to Christ, and every bit of bitterness and anger just seeped out of her. And now she goes around the country trying to fight for the right for abortion to be illegal again. That's what Jesus does. That's how powerful he is. Alice Cooper, the shock musician, says, probably the most shocking thing about me is that I am a Christian. He hit bottoms, went into a 12-step group, and from the 12-step group, stepped into eternity by accepting Christ. Harry Reams, the porn star of Debbie Does Dallas, hit bottom, and a policeman picked him up and said, Harry, do you realize the kind of influence you could have if you ever stop drinking and get your life together? Harry said, that was the first time anybody hinted to me 
that my life might have value. And that, that policeman took him to church that Sunday. He accepted Christ, and he turned his life over to the Lord forever. Donnie Pauling, the $4,000-a-day Playboy photographer, he gave his life to Christ and gave up photography and started studying for the ministry. And that uh, Thomas Collins, that genius um, who, who created the Genome Project, became increasingly uncomfortable with abortion being a solution to anything, and eventually it led him to Christ. C.S. Lewis was influenced by a friend and a writer, Tolkien, and he accepted Christ. And William Murray read one of C.S. Lewis's books and turned on his mother's atheism and accepted Christ and his a strong believer to this day. His mother, upon hearing that he was a Christian, said, I declare a postpartum abortion. I reject him forever. He is beyond human forgiveness. And Ramzi Yusuf accepted Christ in prison. He went from praying to Allah every hour to cutting his hair, starting to eat pork, going to church, and being involved in a Bible study. The Camerics, the atheist with the little girl artist, after she started having dreams and visions of heaven and painting them so beautifully, they couldn't deny the existence of a God and through a church found Jesus and accepted him. Veronica Hughes, the, the New Age Chandler, was sitting across from her table one day and said, you... You have to forgive me for saying this, but you're the least spiritual person I've ever known. You don't know anything about prayer, and you don't know anything about God, and they went to church, and she accepted Christ. God is bringing people to his family, and he can bring you so that you can bring others, unlikely candidates. He wants us all. No one is beyond his forgiveness. So what does he want you to do? Well, I won't read the verses, but I know he wants us to pray that people will say yes to God and come be part of that family. Second thing, I know he wants us to give to help other people. And this is probably the most generous church I've ever known. Third thing, he wants us to step out in faith. Maybe take a mission trip. Go somewhere, do something like these soccer moms that go to Amsterdam for two weeks in the summer and they go from being a soccer mom to out on the street with drug addicts and prostitutes and they bring these prostitutes off the street, bring them to Christ and help them live a different life. Or number four, go wherever you can go now. Um, You know, my mom, I picked her up at the airport and she's being pushed in a wheelchair by the... uh, the person there, and you know, it's just part of her character. She looks up and says, do you know the Lord? You know, that's, that's just doing what you can where that's my, my mother. And you know, you have a story. Everybody has a story. And if we love people, we want to share that story. And, um, you know, you don't, 
You don't have to close the deal. It's not, okay, deal or no deal, or let's make a deal. You just need to share your ordeal and let them know that God's the big deal and bring them into church and, uh, and, and somebody else will close the deal. We just need to love them. And maybe the easiest, uh, least painful thing to do is take somebody some brownies or cookies and, and take them this little, this little card and, uh, about our series on the afterlife that starts Easter. You know, there's no better time to ask somebody to come to church than on Easter. And if you're embarrassed, put the brownies down and, and the little card, ring the doorbell and run away. Uh, or go at 3 a.m. in the morning and put the brownies down and, or put them in the mailbox so the coyotes don't eat them and put the little card there. Whatever it is that you can do, do it to bring people into the kingdom. A popular writer in our day is Francis Chan. He says, the most dangerous thing is not failing. The most dangerous thing is succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Boy, that's sad. You know, if all you do is make it in the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest aluminum foil ball or the finest shower, uh, uh, dryer lint collection. You know, if that's the book you're going after, we need to go after the book of life and we need to turn our attention to what matters because you matter and God matters and heaven matters and eternity is a very, very long time. God calls us to bring others to be part of his family, to love and live with him forever. Let's do that. This week, somehow, make a commitment. You'll take a risk. Worst thing, you could look as foolish as I do standing up here sometimes pray with me, okay? Lord, thank you for loving us, thanking uh, you now for the purposes that you've given us. I'm thanking you for, um, for giving us something significant to do and many, many ways that we can do it. Thank you, Lord. Give us courage this week. In your name we pray. Amen. And would you help me give Pastor Steve a round of applause? What an awesome job. That was, that was awesome. I think he deserves another round of applause. Come on, let's bless God one more time. We've been talking about for the last several weeks uh, our purposes. And there you have them, the call to be loved the call to belong, the call to become, the call to bless, and today the call to bring. Next week, we're going to have a celebration Sunday and wrap it all up. Uh, It's Palm Sunday. Pastor Darren will be here uh, to share with us. And so we want you to